Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. The Old Testament book of Isaiah and Isaiah and chapter number 2. Isaiah and chapter number 2. We are winding down this series of the Millennial Kingdom. The Millennial Kingdom, of course, is the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, where Jesus Christ is going to come back on this earth and physically, literally, and bodily rule on this world for 1,000 years. And that as we've been taking time to go through this series, we described a little bit more of the events of why do we have a millennial kingdom in the first place? Did God just, was God bored and said, you know what, just at the end of time, let's put a thousand years. Why do we have the millennial kingdom in the first place? And then we took time to describe that God had made certain promises to the Hebrew people. That he promised them a people forever. He promised them the land forever. He promised them a king forever. And he also promised for them to have salvation. And so God is fulfilling the promises. That we know that the next event on God's calendar is something called the rapture. And what the rapture is, is the calling away of of those who are saved during this church age. He's calling them away in the rapture. The Bible describes that the dead in Christ shall arise first, and then us that are alive and remain shall meet them together up in the air. That we're going to go meet with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be raptured out. The next event after that is something called the tribulation. Seven years of tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. And during the tribulation, God is not primarily dealing with the Gentile people, but he is primarily dealing with the Hebrew people for the purpose of bringing them back to himself. At the end of the seven years, Jesus Christ is coming back and that he's starting the millennial kingdom with no lost people, that he's going to separate those who are saved from those who do not know Jesus as their personal savior. And they're going to start the millennial kingdom. During the millennial kingdom, this is the fulfillment of the promises God made to the Hebrew people. And so I say this and put an emphasis because unfortunately there's a lot of teaching today that the Hebrew people have forfeited their promises and God has set them aside and has replaced us with Christians. That is not true and that is a horrible God who did not keep his promises if that was true. God keeps his promises. And God made a promise to the Hebrew people. Just at this current time, the emphasis that he is placing while we are alive today is with the Gentile people, but he has not forgotten the Hebrew people. And that God, once again, is going to work with them. Now, that's important because if you take the Hebrew people outside of the context, then the millennial kingdom does not make sense at all and is missing so many features 
that God had promised to the Hebrew people. That does not work if the quote-unquote Gentiles are the ones that have replaced them. It doesn't work out. Now, we're just trying to set up a baseline. Because as now we take the Bible and we explore more about the Millennial Kingdom, we want to hit more about the capital of the Millennial Kingdom. Where is the capital and how important is this capital? And we find our answer beginning in the book of Isaiah chapter number 2. The book of Isaiah and chapter number 2, and notice with me in verse number 1. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse number 1, the word of God says this. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass that in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. And we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Isaiah chapter 2? The book of Isaiah chapter 2, and notice with me in verse 3, notice this phrase, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And with the Lord's help, we want to preach this idea, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Maybe you wanted to subtitle this, the capital of the millennial kingdom. The capital of the millennial kingdom. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And again, as we give information about the future, help us not to fail to also look forward to how you can help us now, how you could be an encouragement to us now, what our response is to you here and now as we open this up and learn information about the future. Thank you for being a wonderful God who is always trustworthy, who is always right, who is always good, who is always looking out for us. We're asking that you would just help us now, that as we study this, that we would see what a great God that we have. And that we can depend and trust on you. Again, you get your own work accomplished through your precious word. As for me, the best I know how, I surrender myself to you. Once again, please fill me with your precious spirit. And you do what you desire to get done this morning in this message. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now in Isaiah chapter 2, in fact most of Isaiah does a lot talking about Jesus Christ's second coming. That Jesus Christ is coming as king and is going to establish his earthly reign to all of the world from Jerusalem. That Jerusalem is going to be the capital. And if you don't mind, let's just look at Isaiah chapter 2 really quick and then we'll explore some more scriptures getting some principles about how important Jerusalem is to the end of time. Notice with me in chapter 2 in verse 1. The word that Isaiah the son of Amoz saw concerning Jerusalem 
or Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and the nation shall flow to it. Now, we already know that from Scripture that we know there's going to be a little bit of a change of real estate inside of that area. Remember that Jesus Christ is going to come to the very same spot where he ascended. Remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus Christ had, had die, died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. Then he spent 40 days with his disciples, and on day 40, he gave some last-minute instructions to the disciples, and then he ascended up. And remember the disciples, they all stared and stared and looked in the clouds. And by the way, you would too. If you saw Jesus go up in the air, you never seen him take off. He didn't have a jet pack. He wasn't riding on an airplane. He just descended straight up. And they just looked and looked until they couldn't see him no more. And then they looked some more just in case he came back down. And they're staring. And finally, and some angels had to come and say, hey guys, what are you guys looking at? This same Jesus, notice that, this same Jesus shall come in like manner. That means he's coming back, that same Jesus, not a different Jesus. We're not getting a replacement Jesus. This same Jesus shall come in like manner. How in like manner? Well, he, he rose up literally. It wasn't just an imaginary picture. He went up literally. He's coming back literally. He went up physically. He's coming back physically. He we know that this same Jesus is coming back. The Bible talks about in the book of Zechariah that we know exactly where he's landing. That's the Mount of Olives. That's where he was predicted to come back. By the way, that was the same spot where he went up. And so this same Jesus shall come back in like manner, the same spot. And what happens, the Bible describes that when Jesus Christ comes back down and lands, that what's going to happen is that the mountains are going to split. On the Mount of Olives, which is next to Jerusalem on the east. It says that springs of water are going to come out. But also, Jerusalem, which is right next to the Mount of Olives, there's a valley between them. That what's going to happen is that the, uh, the mountains are going to split. The Mount of Olives are going to split. Water is going to come out. But the pressure is going to cause Jerusalem to rise up higher. That's literally what it's talking about, is that it's going to be exalted above the mountains. It's going to be risen up higher in the middle of in that area. And so Jerusalem's going to be even higher than what it is now, which it's already on a hill. And it's going to be in a more exalted position. And the nation shall flow into it. Speaking about this is the capital. All the nations are going to come to this capital city to receive their instructions. Verse 3. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go to the mountains of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Now what's going to happen, and we're going to talk about this in length tonight, is that during the millennial kingdom, that God is going to rebuild his temple. It's not going to be a fake knockoff that the Antichrist builds. It is going to be his temple that he rebuilds. And worship and God are going to come from this temple. Meaning, where does the presence of God reside there? Where is Jesus literally going to reside? The temple. Where is the instructions to run the earth? The temple. In fact, we're going to study more about the temple, including the bringing back of blood sacrifices and what that entails. Come back tonight and we'll see more about that. But the temple of the house of God is going to be there. And it is from this location in Jerusalem that all of the world is going to receive their instructions. Notice again verse 3. Many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up into the mountains of the Lord to the house of God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways. 
and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion, now that word Zion is a special name for Jerusalem. It carries the, it's still uh, Jerusalem, but it carries the idea that it is holy, it's exalted, separated to God. It is a special name that deals with the fulfillment of the promises that God made to the Hebrew people. That's why we're singing our fellowship song, Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return, and come with singing unto Zion. This is Jerusalem, still speaking about the capital and its special name to God. And for out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord shall come from Jerusalem. Here we see Jerusalem is going to be the capital of the millennial kingdom. Now, as we explain this, let's, I cannot take the time to go through every scripture that speaks about Jerusalem in the millennial kingdom. There are tons of them. But for brevity's sake, I just want to hit a couple principles dealing with the idea that Jerusalem is the capital. And the first thing I'd like to show you in Scripture is that Jerusalem will be the center of kingdom rule. That Jerusalem will be the center of kingdom rule. If you don't mind, let's just look at a couple passages with this idea. First of all, take a pit stop with me in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah in chapter number 3. That in the millennial kingdom, Jerusalem is going to be the capital. But also with it being the capital, it's going to be the center of the world. What do we mean by this? That Jerusalem, by the way, is the center of the world geographically. But it is going to be the center of all life. It is going to be the center of all government. It is going to be the center of people's ideas. That if there was going to be one city everyone talked about throughout the world, it would be Jerusalem. If there was one place that everyone knew, it was Jerusalem. It didn't matter where you lived at on the earth in the millennial kingdom. Jerusalem is the center of life. It is the capital. When the news stations talk about live from Jerusalem, kind of like today, they'd say from the White House, from this. Well, in the millennial kingdom, it's going to be all about Jerusalem. It's going to be the center of the kingdom rule. That when we talk about the, what comes from the laws, what's the ordinances, what are the things coming from? It comes from Jerusalem. Notice with me Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 17. Notice this as it talks about the millennial kingdom rule. And at that time, they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered unto it. To the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem, neither shall they walk any more after the imaginations of their evil heart. Here it's speaking about in the millennial kingdom, all nations will report to Jerusalem that they get their instructions. We know that there's going to be several nations, but if you want to say what is the center kingdom of the empire of the millennial kingdom, it's Jerusalem. That all kings and kingdoms get their orders from Jerusalem. It is the main capital of all of the earth. Notice with me as we turn to the minor prophets, the book of Micah. The book of Micah and chapter number 4. We're going to spend a little bit more time in Micah. So notice with me the book of Micah. Micah is found in the minor prophets section. And if you're looking for Micah, look for Jonah. It's right next to Jonah. Micah chapter number 4. Micah chapter number 4. Again, we could take so many passages and see what the Bible says about Jerusalem and the millennial kingdom. There are tons of them. 
We're just trying to hit just a couple to get the principle across and then draw an application from it. But again, this is needful information. So when you get to the Millennial Kingdom, you know exactly where the headquarters are. <laughs> it's Jerusalem. And that Jerusalem is going to be the center of the kingdom rule. Notice with me in Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4, notice with me in verse 1. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and the people shall flow into it. And many nations shall come and say, or come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of God of Jacob. And he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths for the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Once again, it says the same thing as it did in Isaiah chapter 4. But it also adds to it now. Or Isaiah chapter 2 where we were at. Now we're in Micah 4. Notice with me verse 3. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke the nations afar off. Meaning that Jesus is in charge of all the nations far away. He's still the boss. And shall beat their swords into plowshares and and their spears and pruning hooks. And nations shall not lift up a sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Praise the Lord. It will be a time of peace. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his tree. And none shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. This is going to be a time where people have peace. You don't have to worry about nations going against other nations. Because Jesus is in charge. And nations won't have any reason to fight against each other. He'll settle everything. Verse 5. For all the people will walk everyone in the name of his God. And we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Verse 5 speaks about there's only one God in the millennial kingdom. Verse 6, And in that day, saith the Lord, I will assemble her that halteth, and will gather to her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted. And I will make her that halteth a remnant, and her that was cast off a strong nation. And the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. And verses uh, 6 and 7, it's speaking specifically of the Hebrew people. That the Hebrew people have always been treated horribly. Always. And they've been rejected and cast out and set aside and nobody wants them. But guess what? In the millennial kingdom, God is going to have a special place of protection for the Hebrew people. He's going to gather themselves. He's going to rule over them and protect them. And they are going to be an exalted place. After all, the capital of all the world is going to be in the midst of the Hebrew people. And that in order to see God, you're going to have to go with the Hebrew people. And so again, we're seeing the principle that Jerusalem will be the center of the kingdom rule. There's something else that we see about the, the millennial kingdom. And we find that in the book of Isaiah chapter 20, uh, 62. Isaiah 62. So not only do we see that we know that Jerusalem is the capital. And that the word of the Lord is going to come from Jerusalem. We understand that with that idea that Jerusalem will be the center of the kingdom rule. But another thing that we understand is that Jerusalem will bring honor to God. Jerusalem will bring honor to God. Notice with me in Isaiah 62. Isaiah chapter 62. And notice with me, if you don't mind, Isaiah 62. And notice with me in verse 1. Isaiah 62 and verse 1. 
For Zion's sake, again, we've already described that Zion is the special name of Jerusalem, dealing with the millennial kingdom, the exalted place of Jerusalem. For Zion's sake, will I not hold my peace? For Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as the brightness and the salvation thereof as the lamp that burneth. Meaning that it's going to be bright. Again, we're bringing the idea that Jerusalem will bring honor to God. Verse 2, And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all the kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Now it's talking about the city of Jerusalem, that the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness. That Jerusalem's going to be a place that all the heathen are going to say, Wow, look, this is the place where God dwells. And all the kings, thy glory, all the kings will see the glory of Jerusalem. And thou, Jerusalem, shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of God shall name. And thou shall be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Basically, it's saying that, you know what Jerusalem's going to be? It's like the crown that God wears. It's what you look at and say, ooh. It's going to be the, the glory, the crowning achievement of God. Jerusalem and what it's going to become. Because it's going to be the capital of the millennial kingdom. It's going to be the place that God is going to use to reflect his righteousness. See what I can do? Notice in verse 4. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken. Neither shall thy land be any more termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Hephasah, and thy land Beulah. For the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as a bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, shall, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. So here it gives the picture of a wedding. Now on a wedding day, I don't know what type of marriages you've been to or weddings you've been to but it's not the idea that the bride's coming down and the groom says "Ugh, all right if I have to what happens is that the groom is looking at the bride and says oh this is the most beautiful creature I've ever seen oh I can't wait oh you know the nervousness their excitedness because this is special coming down that's how God is going to see Jerusalem at this time as like a, a bridegroom seeing the bride oh that's special. She's all mine. You know, he's not looking around in all the room and seeing everything else. He's just got eyes for the bride. That's the term and the relationship, the glory that Jerusalem is going to bring to God in the millennial kingdom. Notice as it goes on. And verse number 6, And I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. And I will give him no rest till he establish, till he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Again, God is not going to rest until he makes Jerusalem a place where it is. People look at Jerusalem and they refer to it as a look at what God did. Look at what God did. Verse number 8. And the Lord has sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength, surely I will no more give thy corn to be meat for thine enemies. And the son of the stranger shall not drink thy wine, but for the which they have labored. But they shall gather it to eat it and praise the Lord. And they have brought it to give and shall drink it in the courts of thy holiness. Here it's speaking about that no more will it be that unsaved heathen people 
will take away the things from Jerusalem. There's no more rockets. There's no more bombings. There's no more taking the land. No more agreements making the borders of Jerusalem shorter. That there's no more taking of what rightfully belongs to the Hebrew people. And bring it to someone else. That it will be a place where that's no more going to be done. This is the place that God's going to protect. And no one's going to dare take anything away from Jerusalem anymore. Notice if you don't mind as it goes on in verse um, number 10, go through, go through the gates, prepare ye the way of the people, cast up, cast up the highway, gather up the stones, lift up a standard for the people. Behold, the Lord have proclaimed unto the end of the earth, world. Say ye to the daughter of Zion, behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And thou shalt be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. Now again, we know if we look, turn on our TVs today, Jerusalem is not treated very well. Not by a lot of people. But in this day, Jerusalem is going to be exalted. It's going to be spoken of highly. Because this is the place that will bring glory and honor to God. If you don't mind, let me turn to one last passage and let me show you a principle that we find in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah 26. Again, I could turn to passage after passage after passage that the Bible declares about Jerusalem and that how Jerusalem is going to be so important in the millennial kingdom. There are hundreds of scriptures. However, we're just going to limit it down to just a couple of passages just to kind of get some principles across dealing with the importance of Jerusalem, that Jerusalem is the capital of the millennial kingdom, that the word of God is going to go forth from Jerusalem, that we understand that Jerusalem is going to be the center of the millennial kingdom rule, that Jerusalem will bring honor to God. There's something else I'd like to show you is that Jerusalem will be protected by God. That Jerusalem will be protected by God. Notice with me in Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah 26 and notice with me in verse 1. And in that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Open ye the gates that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. What we see here is that Jerusalem will be protected by God. And oddly enough, it is also the same way that God protects us. And so... We know that we've been giving information. Let's bring it down to application, if you don't mind. How in the world does God protect us the same way that he protects Jerusalem? Well, notice with me in verse number one, we can see how does God protect us like he's going to protect Jerusalem? That first of all, we see salvation. Salvation. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Here we have the picture that instead of having walls, instead of having the armaments, instead of having the things to that protects a city physically, you know what's going to be used? Salvation. You know what God uses to protect us? It's not walls. God doesn't build a wall around you and say, hey, guess what? You stay within these walls and as long as you stay within these walls, you're going to heaven. He doesn't use physical walls. 
He uses salvation. Salvation protects us. Now what is salvation? Salvation is the principle that God gives us. It's a present that he gives us. It's a free gift that he gives us. Because he knows that we need it. Why do you need salvation? Well you need salvation because first of all you're a sinner. Every single one of us have sinned. There is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In order to demonstrate this, God gave us what we call the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is God's uh, rules of holiness. That in order to be perfect, we have to meet all of those rules. But those rules teach us that we are not perfect. For example, the Bible says in the Ten Commandments, Thou shall not bear false witness. What does that mean? It means don't tell lies. Well, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand, right? If you're not raising your hand now, you're a liar. Because we've all told lies. Every single one of us have told lies. Every single one of us is guilty before God. The Bible goes on to say that in the Ten Commandments, it says to honor thy father and thy mother. To honor thy father and thy mother. The Bible says we're supposed to obey our folks. How many of you ever disobeyed your folks? Well, we all have, haven't we? We've all disobeyed our folks. You understand that the Bible goes on to exclaim that in the commandments, there's 613 laws given in that Old Testament Levitical law system. Do you know what the, the penalty for almost all the breaking of the laws is? Death. Death. That because you broke the law, you deserve death. You deserve death. Isn't one of the laws... Um, to uh, keep the Sabbath. What happened to the guy who broke the law. And broke the Sabbath in Moses' day. They stoned him. They killed him. You say this is harsh. What I'm trying to do is exclaim a principle. That the Bible says. That we have to be perfect in order to go to heaven. Unfortunately. There's none of us that are righteous. No not one. And because we have broken God's law. Because we have broken God's commandments. The penalty, the punishment, the reward that we've earned for breaking God's law is death. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That because I broke a law, because I told a lie, because I've disobeyed my folks, I deserve death. The word death literally carries the idea of separation. That because we've broken God's law, we deserve to be separated from God for all eternity. And when you die, there's only two places to go that the Bible describes. A wonderful place called heaven or an awful place called hell. Do you know that God never created hell to, to, for a single human to go there? He created hell to punish Satan and his demons. But man goes there by default because we've broken God's law. Now, in order for us to understand salvation, we have to understand, first of all, you're a sinner. All of us have sinned. If you don't believe you're a sinner, you cannot be saved. You have to recognize that you've broken God's law. The Bible also says that for the wages of sin is death. The second thing you have to realize is that because you sinned, you deserve a punishment from God. You deserve to be separated from Him. You deserve to go to hell. If someone doesn't believe they deserve to go to hell, there's nothing to save them from. The reason why Jesus died is to keep us from hell, to give us forgiveness of sins, to pay that penalty so we wouldn't have to go to that awful place called hell. 
the fact that Jesus died proves there is a hell. Otherwise, you know, if it was just an idea that, well, when you die, you just, it's not a big deal. Well, then why would Jesus have to die? He died and he didn't have to. He willingly died because hell is such an awful place. He was willing to die and go through the suffering and shame of the cross because he didn't want to see a single person go to that awful place called hell. He was willing to suffer for it. The next thing you have to realize is that Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. He just didn't die for some nameless people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whenever you see that word whosoever, you can see the idea of yourself. Put your name in there. For God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son. That if I should believe in him, I should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a personal promise that God made to you and that you have to realize that Jesus died for you. Then you have to personally accept Jesus as your Savior. You have to be willing to accept that gift. Lord, you died for me. There's nothing I could do to make myself go to heaven. I, my prayer doesn't even save me. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And I'm willing to accept that gift. I'm willing to allow you to pay that price for me. And someone must accept that. When you do that, you have what is called salvation. And salvation is a protection for you that as long as you have Jesus, guess what? You have life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It's just that simple. That when I have Jesus, I have everything I need in order to go to heaven. He is my all in all. That when I have Jesus, I don't have to add anything to it to go to heaven. I have everything I need. I have protection. That as long as I have Jesus, and Jesus said he'll never leave me nor forsake me. He, no one can pluck me out of his hands. The Bible talks about in the book of uh, John chapter 10. That no one can pluck you out of his hand. Praise the Lord for that. What a wonderful idea that if we have Jesus, we have everything that we need and we're going to heaven because of what God has given to us. He has surrounded us and protected us with salvation. And guess what? In the millennial kingdom, God is going to protect Jerusalem with salvation as well. So how is it that God is going to protect Jerusalem in the millennial kingdom the same way that he protects us? First of all is salvation. Notice the second thing that is mentioned here. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 2. Open ye the gates that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. The second way that God protects us is with truth. With truth. How does God protect a saint from going crazy? He gives us truth. By the way, what, where is truth? Where do we find truth? Do we find it on the internet? Do we get it from CNN? How do we find truth? Well, the Bible says thy word is truth. You know how we stay protected? By being in God's word. God's word protects us. That it, that's why the greatest thing you could do on a daily basis for yourself as a Christian is to read the Bible. You need God's protection. You need God's truth. You know, the first law about compulsory education in America was called the Old Deluder Satan Act. That's a cool name for a law. The Old Deluder Satan Act. It was passed when they were still colonies. And in America, this law was passed saying this, that we need to teach kids to read the Bible as early as possible. 
that if people knew the Bible, the atrocities that happened in Europe, like the Crusades or the Inquisition, could not happen in America if people knew their Bible. And you know, in the 1700s, 1800s, kids by the age of four could read their Bible from cover to cover. Boy, things have really changed in our nation today. We have people who, who graduate high school that can't read their diplomas. Why is there such an attack on education? Because if people can't read, they can't read their Bible. And if they can't read their Bible, they are not protected by truth. Therefore, you need someone to tell you what the Bible says. You need a spiritual guru because you're not spiritual enough to read it. Even our Catholic friends, do you know that there's a law in the Catholic books that says that a Catholic person cannot read their Bible because they cannot understand it. They need a Catholic priest to interpret and to tell them what the Bible says. You know, as long as people are not protected by truth, they can be led astray by anything. The Bible says we are protected by truth. And that's how God protects us. And how is God going to protect the Jerusalem and the Millennial Kingdom? He's going to protect it with truth. Protect it with truth. As long as you know the truth, it can't be destroyed. That we today, we have to have truth. And we know God's word is truth. That you need to be in the Bible for yourself and be grounded in the truth. Grounded in the truth. Notice if we don't mind a third thing that the Bible mentions. How does God protect us? Just like he protects Jerusalem. He protects it with salvation. He protects it with truth. Notice with me in verse 3 and 4. Thou will keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye the Lord forever. For in the name of Jehovah is everlasting strength. Notice verse 3. If you don't have this highlighted or marked, please mark that in your Bible. This is a verse you need to go to and reflect on all the time. Thou will keep him in perfect peace. Not in mediocre peace. Not in shaky peace. But perfect peace. The word perfect here carries the idea of complete or whole. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, God. Why? Because he, that's us, trusteth in him. You want to know why you're fretting and anxious? Because you're not trusting in him. You know why you freak out? You're not trusting in him. You know why you panic? You're not trusting in him. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. Why? Because he trusted in him. You know why we could drive in the storm and not go, I'm going to die. God, I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting in you. And God will keep you in perfect peace. You have something that, that broadsided you and say, how am I going to deal with this? You don't have to panic or freak out. What am I going to do? Why? You know what happens when you see people who are flighty, who are mousy, who freak out at everything, those are people who prove their minds are not on him. That's evidence. Because the Bible promises, and this is a promise, that thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee. Why? Because he trusteth in him. Can you trust in him completely? Can you depend on God? Even if it doesn't fit your plans or your agenda, something hits you, God knows what he's doing. Someone gets sick. 
What am I going to do? You know, God allowed it to cross his desk and he approved it. He allowed it in your life. God knows what he's doing. God is always good and God is always right. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusted in thee. You know, it doesn't just say this in Isaiah. It says this also in the New Testament. May I show you? Look with me in the book of Philippians chapter 2. The book of Philippians chapter number 4 rather. Philippians 4. The book of Philippians chapter number 4. And notice this. Remember, it says that thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind. This is dealing with your thought life. You know, anyone can say I'm trusting God, but their mind is not on thee. Anyone can say, hey, everything's going to be all right. But inside of them, they're like quivering like jello. Because their mind is not dependent in trusting on him. Notice as the New Testament speaks about the same thing. Philippians chapter number four. Philippians chapter four. Notice with me in verse six. Philippians chapter four verse six. Be careful for nothing. The word careful carries the idea of anxious or worried. Are you a warrior? Well, here's what the Bible says about worry. Are you someone that freaks out over every little thing? What does the Bible say? Be careful for nothing. Doesn't mean just be careful or anxious or worried when the bills aren't getting paid. Be careful for nothing. That doesn't mean that you're supposed to be careful unless health goes bad. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, that word every means everything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, meaning that can you thank God for everything that crossed your path? Can you thank God that he knows what he's doing? With let your prayer, let everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. And the peace of God, notice that, the peace of God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Notice as we get more detail, all right, the peace of God that passeth all understanding. This carries the idea, this is a peace that doesn't make sense. When things legitimately are going wrong in your life, how in the world can you have the peace of God? By being careful for nothing, but let everything, prayer and supplication, let your requests be known unto God. And he will keep you in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee. You see, it deals with your thought life. Can you trust God? And it is proven, can you trust God, by how you talk to God. God, I know that this cancer in my life is not what I wanted, but I trust that you know what is right. God, this hole in my roof is not what I wanted for today. But I know that you have a plan and a thing for this. God, my car is not starting and I've kicked it a couple times and it's not working. I can still have perfect peace. I can be anxious and nothing because I trust that God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. I could trust in him. I may not see the whole picture, but God does. And he says, this is what's needed for your time in this life. I have a plan for it. You may never know about it, but can you trust me that God is always good and God is always right? And you can have a peace of God that passes all understanding. People say, how in the world can you be so calm? Don't you see the big roof and the snow coming in? How in the world are you not freaking out? Because God's still good and God's still right. But your child's sick. How in the world are you not panicking, pulling out your hair? Let me tell you, it's because I trust God. It's not easy, but I know that God is good and that God is right. And that God said he will keep me in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. 
because he trusted in him. A peace that passeth all understanding. Notice as the Bible continues on. And it, it talks about our thought life even more. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. You know that there's a lot of things we think in our life that is not true. Our mind has a wonderful habit. I say wonderful, almost tongue in cheek. A wonderful habit of filling in information. And sometimes it's not true. For example, ladies... I'm going to pick on you for a second. How many times have you said to your husband or someone else, so-and-so doesn't like me? Well, how do you know they don't like me? I just have a feeling. You don't have evidence for it. So you can't say it because it is not true. You don't have evidence for it. I'm a time type person. And so I, I like exact time. So if I set an appointment, someone's going to meet me at 7 o'clock. Hey, at 645, I'm looking for them. All right, where are they at? Hey, coming up 6.55, all right, any time now. 7 o'clock, come on, 7.05. See, I knew that they didn't care about this. This wasn't a big deal. 7.15, see, they, just, they were just blowing me off. You know, I don't know why they are late. Maybe they had car problems. Maybe they're winning someone to the Lord. But you know what my mind just did? It filled in the gaps with something that may not be true. And if you think about those things that are not true, for example, ladies, that person just hates me. I could tell by the way they looked at me. They didn't shake my hand, so pastor doesn't love me anymore. I'd say that, tongue-in-cheek, but that happens. People get mad if pastor doesn't shake everybody's hands. and must be something wrong. You see, what we do is we fill in something that is not true. And as long as you're thinking about something that's not true, you're not going to have perfect peace, Right? All of us can almost say that we had thoughts in our minds that we found out is not true. And those thoughts bothered us because we didn't have any evidence for it. But, you know, we just knew it was there. We just knew deep inside that person just hates me to the core. Then you're not going to have perfect peace because you're looking at other things other than God. Notice as it says, so it's talking about our thought life, that it says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true... Whatsoever things are honest. You know, we could choose to think of things that are honest rather than thinking about lies and thinking of things that are not true. Whatsoever things are just. You know, we like to look at the bad news, right? That's all that you see on TV today is bad news. When do they have anything about good news? Why do not train our mind to think about what is good instead of looking at all the things that are bad? Instead of saying, you know how many times pastor messed up? Say, you know what, maybe that was a good message after all. Or, you know, whatever the thing is. Think about what is just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are good report. Not bad report. If there be any virtue. If there be any praise. Can you praise your thoughts? Is the way that you think. The things that cross your mind. My teacher hates me. Well, as long as you think about that. You're going to have issues in school, right? By the way, there's not a single teacher who hates a student. They have not done job interviews and say, do you hate kids? Well, you're the perfect candidate. All right? Teachers do not hate their students. But you know, we get that in our mind because we're not looking at the Lord. We're looking at something else. It says, if there be any virtue, if any praise, thank on these things. There is plenty of things bad out there. But as long as we're getting our eyes off the Lord, we're going to get troubled. We're not going to have peace. You want to know what is true, what is lovely, what is of good report? Jesus. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. 
because he trusteth in thee. Notice as it goes on in verse 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Twice it talks about peace that God gives us. The peace of God and the God of peace. Why? Where does it come from? It comes from our thought life. And so again, how does God protect Jerusalem? He protects them with salvation. Protects them with truth. And he protects them with a perfect peace. For us, we could be protected by salvation. We could be protected by truth. We could also have a perfect peace. That he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. For he trusteth in him. You know, if you're missing something in your life, you can have it. If you don't know for sure that you're going to heaven, God wants to give it to you and offer it to you. If you're not sure you have truth, let me tell you, his word is truth. And that's where you're going to get truth from, is from God's word. And you could have a perfect peace. But it comes when our thought life is thinking upon him. Why? Because we trust in him. If you're lacking any of these areas, it could be fixed. If you're lacking salvation, you could have it. If you're lacking truth, you could have it. If you're lacking perfect peace, the answer is to put your thoughts and mind on him. Because you trust him. You see, God can give us all of those things. And one day he's going to do that to Jerusalem. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.